For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is described with several mysterious-sounding names. Perhaps the most striking is the Lamb that was slain. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah unravels the mystery behind this name and explains why the Lamb is worthy of worship for all eternity. From the series, My Heart's Desire, here's David to introduce today's message, Worshiping the Lamb. And thank you for joining us. One of the the great... Um, metaphors for the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. And uh, we hear in our ears John the Baptist pointing to Jesus as he was on this earth and saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ is the spotless Lamb of God who sacrificed himself for us on the cross so that there never need be another sacrifice for sin. And in heaven, he will appear as the Lamb of God. That will be a theme that surrounds him. And the worship in heaven will be the worship of the Lamb. We're going to talk about that today and tomorrow as we open our Bibles to the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation. I hope you'll join us in the Scripture. Friends, we're going to be in your area if you happen to be in Raleigh, North Carolina, or the surrounding vicinity. We'll be there on Thursday, October the 6th in the PNC Arena. Then in Orlando, Florida, on October the 13th, another Thursday in the Amway Center. Thursday the 20th, we'll be in Greenville, South Carolina at the Bon Secours Wellness Arena. And Friday, November the 11th in Buffalo, New York at the KeyBank Center. These events are wonderful nights of celebration and worship and just uh, loving God together as a community, teaching of the Word of God. Uh, We make available some of the resources of Turning Point. We have a great night, and I want you to come. I hope you will get your tickets. They're free, but you must have a ticket. They're available at davidjeremiah.org slash tour. When you go there, you can order the tickets that you will prayerfully use, and they'll be given to you in time for the event so you can come and share that night with us in your community. Well, we need to open our Bibles now to Revelation chapter 5 as we enter into this discussion of worshiping the Lamb. We are studying the subject of worship And today we take still another step in our focus on this subject as we look together at the worship of the Lamb. And the setting for this is in the fifth chapter, where we are told that as John sees the vision of heaven, he notices that on the throne is seated the great God who is our Father, and in his hand there is a book. Now the book of Revelation is a book about books in many ways in this last epistle, this last presentation of the New Testament, we have a number of books mentioned. There is the Book of Life, in which the name of everyone who has been purchased by the blood of Christ finds their name. There is the Book of Works, surprising many people that when a person who has rejected Christ stands before the 
great white throne judgment someday, he will not only be judged as to whether his name is in the book of life, but he will also be judged out of his works. And it will be proven beyond any serious question that by his works he has not merited his place in heaven. For no one can do that apart from the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. Later on in the book of Revelation, we're introduced to a book called the book of the testimony. But here in the fifth chapter, there is a different kind of book. It is a seven-sealed scroll, says the scripture. And that scroll, which is in the hand of God the Father, is the title deed to the earth. It is the scroll that will be unrolled in the study of the rest of the book of Revelation so that as it is chronologically unsealed, the outpouring of judgment and wrath upon this earth is revealed. The scroll was in the truest sense of a Roman scroll, seven seals. The scroll was rolled tightly and a seal was placed and then it was rolled some more in another seal. And finally throughout the whole scroll are a number of seals. And as you read the book of Revelation, what you see in the next chapters is that A seal is taken off and part of the scroll is unrolled so we can read the contents of it. And then another seal is removed and we can see more. And gradually as all seven seals are unrolled, the consequences of the earth are spelled out. And the tribulation period, which is the retaking of the earth by King Jesus, is given to us in documented form. As John in his vision on the Isle of Patmos sees that picture in heaven, That seven-sealed scroll is in the hand of the Father. But as he looks around, there is no one who is worthy to come and take it and open it. And as John sees that no one is worthy to open the scroll, the Scripture says he begins to weep. His eyes are filled with tears and he begins to cry. For there's no one anywhere who can open the scroll, for no one is morally worthy to come and take it from God. John is weeping because that scroll contains the step-by-step procedure by which King Jesus is to regain control of this earth so that he will at last be King of kings and Lord of lords. That scroll contains the message of judgment that is going to be poured out upon all those who have rejected this king. John longs for those events to take place, but there is no one there. No one is worthy. Finally, an elder steps forward, and he says, John, there is one. There is one who is worthy to open the seven-sealed scroll. And he begins to describe him. And when that one is introduced and when he is made known, what happens in heaven is the most massive outpouring of praise in the history of the universe takes place. It is a story so marvelous it is hard for us to describe it. Notice, first of all, that the worship that it takes place in heaven is worship that takes place because of the one who is the object of the worship because of who he is. The scripture says that he is one described as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and the lamb that was slain. These are not three different people. They are three names for the one and only person who is worthy to take the scroll. First of all, note that he is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. That goes all the way back to the 49th chapter of the book of Genesis where the patriarch Jacob gathered his sons around him as he was about to die and he begins to pass on a blessing to them. One by one he calls them before him and one by one he blesses them for the future. When he comes to his son Judah, he says to Judah something very interesting. He says, Judah... The scepter shall not depart from Judah, 
nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. That prophecy, not veiled at all to those who heard it, was a very clear prophetic truth that from the line of Judah, the son of Jacob, the Messiah would come, that Jesus would come out of the lineage of Judah. And as you study the lineage of our Lord, you discover that it is exactly the way he came. One of the favorite names for Jesus when he walked upon this earth was that he was the son of David. And David was out of the tribe of Judah, and he was the one who was before the Lord in his ancestry. So the first term that is used to describe the one who is worshipped is he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then the scripture says he is the root of David. I've always been mystified by that because it seems to be a contradiction in terms. Jesus Christ is the root of David. We have just learned in the previous name that Jesus Christ comes from Judah and before Christ came through Judah, David came through Judah so that Jesus Christ is called the son of David. He is the son of David and he is also the root of David. How could that be? How can a person be his own father? How can a person be both a son and a father? And yet that is exactly what the scripture says. Here's the key understanding. In his deity, Jesus was before David. In his humanity, he was after David. He is both the root and the offspring of David. He is both David's ancestor and David's progeny. He is wrapped up in that picture as the eternal God in the sense that before Abraham was, I am. So not only does he see the lion of the tribe of Judah coming in majesty, but he sees in Jesus Christ the root of David who is eternal and who has always existed. But the third name for that one who is worthy to open the scroll is the name that we focus our attention upon. He is the lamb that was slain. Isn't it interesting that our Lord Jesus can at one and the same time be described both as a lion and as a lamb? He is a lion and he is a lamb. Let me tell you something I've learned about studying the scripture, and I'm sure you've been impressed by this as well. No matter what you learn about the nature of the Lord Jesus, no matter what facets become clear to you, you have never even touched the hem of the garment of who he is, for he is far beyond our ability to comprehend. His ways are so far above our ways, and we can just enter in a little bit to understand who he is. We will never be able to put together and to merge the truths of the fact that he's a lion and he's a lamb. He is all of these things perfectly together. There are four things about his being the lamb that are important for us to see. Notice, first of all, he is standing the lamb slain is standing. Isn't that a strange picture? Slain lambs don't stand. Slain lambs are on the ground laying down. But this lamb was slain and now he stands. He was slain on the cross. But after the cross was the grave and after the grave was the resurrection and the lamb that was slain who stands in heaven is the lamb who was resurrected. And so John sees the resurrected Lord, the lamb that was slain who is standing. And then notice he is the lamb that was slain. He is a slain lamb. One of the realities of heaven for all of us will be 
that the focus of our attention throughout eternity will be our redemption. Did you know that when Jesus Christ appears in heaven, he will appear with the marks of our redemption still in his body, the nail prints in his hands and in his side, and perhaps even the scars where the thorns were pressed into his brow. He will be throughout eternity the lamb that was slain. I was thinking about this. It suddenly struck me why no one will ever be in heaven on the basis of their own good works. No one could ever be in heaven. You would not want to be in heaven with somebody who thought they were there by virtue of their own good works. There will only be one occupation in heaven for each and every one of us, and that is the lamb that was slain. The lamb who took our place on the cross, who paid the penalty we deserve to pay, and is there to remind us that we deserved something far different than what we enjoy. And we will rejoice throughout eternity. Every time we get a vision or a picture of the lamb that was slain, we will fall down and worship. Worthy is the one who was slain. He is the standing lamb and the slain lamb, but notice thirdly, he is the strong lamb. The scripture says he has seven horns. Whenever you see that in the New Testament, especially in the book of Revelation, it speaks of majesty and strength and authority. He is the lamb who is meek. In fact, in the text of the book of Revelation, he is literally the little lamb. That's what it says. It's the diminutive of the term. He's the little lamb. But he's also the strong lamb. He is standing. He is in control. He is about ready to ride forth in judgment upon this earth. And finally, he's the searching lamb. He has seven eyes that go out across the earth looking as the seven spirits of the true God. Now, when we read about this lamb and we see who he is and we understand who he is, it is no wonder to us that those who have a vision of him begin to fall down and worship him. He is the focus of worship. They worship him because of who he is. By the way, it is interesting to compare the lamb and the lion. If you take time to do that, you will find many contrasting statements that at the same time bring the picture of Jesus into full focus. As the lamb, we see him in his first coming when he came to die. As the lion, we see him in his second coming when he comes to rule. The lamb is symbolic of his meekness. The lion is symbolic of his majesty. As the lamb, he's the savior. As the lion, he's the sovereign king. As the lamb, he's judged. As the lion, he's the one who is judging. As the lamb, he represents the grace of God. As the lion, he represents the government of God. He is standing because he is about ready to meet judgment out upon this earth. When the Lord Jesus finished his work here on planet earth, the scripture says he ascended to the right hand of God and he sat down. He sat down because his redemptive work was finished. But now we see him standing because he is about ready to come to this earth and wreak judgment upon those who have rejected him. And that's what the rest of the book of Revelation is all about. Well, he is worshipped because of who he is. He is worshipped, secondly, because of where he is. Where is he? He is in the midst of the throne of God. He is the very center attraction of heaven. He is the focal point of all those who are gathered there. He is the one to whom every eye is looking. And thirdly, he is worshipped not only because of who he is and where he is, but because of what he does. The scripture says that he is about to reclaim authority over all the earth. When he takes the scroll, 
the weeping ends and the praising begins. Why? Because the weeping is the weeping of a whole creation that groans in looking to the redemption that is ours in God. And when that redemption is about to begin, when the Lamb takes the scroll in his hands and he begins to initiate the process of reclaiming the earth, the weeping stops and the worship begins. And he takes to himself praise. Now, let's get this picture clearly in mind. God is on the throne. Around the throne are the redeemed, the four and twenty elders. In the midst of the throne or on the steps upward on each side are the four cherubim. In God's right hand is a seven-sealed book. There is heard the voice of the strong angel saying, Who is worthy to open the book? And one of the elders says, There is one. And as that one comes, all heaven breaks out into praise and worship as he takes that scroll and begins to implement in detail that which is written on both the inside and the outside of the scroll itself. What happens at that moment in the future is that three choruses of praise take place, one after the other. And as I said to you, there is no passage I know of in all of the Bible where there is more magnificent, massive praise than right here. This may be the greatest praise passage in all of God's Word. It is the focal point of all of history when all of the redeemed and all of the angels and all of the universe come before God to proclaim that He alone is worthy and they worship Him. If we could just enter in in a very small way to what happens here in these next few verses, we have crossed the threshold into real worship in spirit and in truth. Notice, first of all, that those who worship the Lord are the redeemed. Look down in your Bibles at verse 8 and notice what it says. And the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and thou hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Let me ask you a question. Why is it that people do not worship God? There is only one reason. No matter who they are, they may be the most out-and-out pagan person or they may consider themselves cultural and religious. But a person who does not truly worship God, there's only one reason why. It is because he does not truly know God. You cannot truly know God and not worship him. To know him, to see him as he is, to understand the majesty and magnificence of his person is to immediately fall down and worship him. So it is probably true that the barometer of our knowledge of God is our ability to worship Him. For the more we know Him, the more we crave to worship Him. And as these elders are gathered before the throne, they have come to see this one who is the reason for their very presence there through His shed blood. And knowing Him, they fall down and they worship Him. It says that in their hands are bowls, and in those bowls are the prayers of the saints. Did you know that God collects your prayers in a bottle? (laughs) That's an interesting thought, isn't it? I know there's another passage that says he keeps our tears in a bottle. But here we're told that our prayers are in a bottle, the prayers of the saints. I don't know all that that means, but it strikes me as rather interesting 
that the very reason for their worship is the reclamation of the earth. And maybe the prayers that are in that vial are simply the repeated prayers that the Lord taught his disciples. What is it that he taught them to pray? Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come down here as it is up there. And the prayers of the saints have ascended unto God. And now he is about ready to institute the program that will make his kingdom on the earth like his kingdom in heaven. The prayers are about to be answered. The scripture says that along with the bowl, they also have harps. They praise God with their harps. Now watch what happens. They sing a new kind of song. What is their song? It is centered in their redemption. They are redeemed out of every tongue and nation and tribe. The reason they sing is because they have been redeemed. And that's the first chorus of worship. Notice, secondly, in verses 11 and 12, after the redeemed get done worshiping, the angels get in on the act. It says, And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now the first thing you need to realize when you read this is, there's no way to number the angels. In fact, Every once in a while you'll hear 10,000 angels. The Lord said, could I not have called thousands of angels to come to my rescue? But in the scripture, the angels are never numbered. We have no idea how many angels there are. We only know there are an awful lot of them. There are thousands of thousands. There are killions and killions, literally. There are myriads and myriads of angels. And all of the many angels of all the universe are now gathered in the throne room of glory. And after the redeemed get done praising God, then the angels begin to praise God. And we have the text of their worship right here before us. There's a couple of interesting things about the angels and their worship that I need to point out because they help us to appreciate the wonderful privilege we have as the redeemed of the Lord to worship God. First thing is that the angels worship God in a different way than we do, at least here. We worship God as the redeemed directly. The angels worship God indirectly. Let me show you what I mean. Look down in your Bibles at the text of verse 9 where we are given what the redeemed are singing to the Lord. And the scripture tells us that they sing a new song and notice the pronouns. They're singing directly to the Lord. You are worthy to take the book, for you were slain and hast redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people, and have made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Those who are redeemed sing their praise directly to the Lord. Now watch the text of the angelic song in verse 11. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power. They don't sing directly to the Lamb. They sing about the Lamb. They just make the message clear that the Lamb is worthy. Redeemed ones sing directly to the Lord. The angels only can express their praise about the Lord. And of course, that's a reminder of that verse in the New Testament that says that uh, Angels don't know the joy that we know because they have never been saved. We know the joy of salvation. Angels can only look into it and try to understand it. In heaven, we will worship the Lamb, and 
There's more about that here on Turning Point tomorrow as we continue our discussion of Revelation chapter 5. On Friday of this week, we're going to talk about the warfare of worship. And I'm not talking about the arguments you had last week in church with your friend over what kind of worship should happen. There's an actual story in the book of Second Chronicles where the choir was put at the front of the military expedition to do war against the enemy. It's an incredible story, and we'll talk about that on Friday. Don't forget, friends, that our resource for the month of September is the beautiful calendar, Moving Mountains. This 14-month calendar includes November and December of 2022. There's a notation of special holidays and um, the previous and next month calendar. There's a Bible reading plan for the new year and plenty of room for you to enter your events into each day of the month. We want you to have this beautiful calendar as our way of saying thank you for your gift to Turning Point during the month of September. We offer it in this month so that we will have plenty of time to get it to you. You'll get it in the month of September or October and have plenty of time to begin entering in your dates as you look forward uh, to the holiday season. This will... I hope be placed someplace in your home where you can see it and be reminded of the majesty of God and where others can enjoy it as well. I hope it will also remind you to pray for Turning Point. So thank you, and please ask for your calendar when you send your gift. Thank you for listening today. Be sure and join us tomorrow as we continue our discussion on My Heart's Desire. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, My Heart's Desire, please visit our website. There you will also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of our 14-month calendar for 2023, Moving Mountains filled with inspiring scriptures and images to encourage you in your walk. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in several handsome cover options. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, My Heart's Desire, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. Do you have faith that moves mountains? Turning Point's Moving Mountains 2023 calendar will remind you of the power of faith. With monthly scriptures and a Bible reading plan, this 14-month calendar will help you stay organized and grow in the Lord. The Moving Mountains calendar is yours with a gift of any amount to the ministry. And when you give $100 or more, we'll send you five calendars, perfect for sharing with family and friends. Go to davidjeremiah.ca. Mahatma Gandhi was the nonviolent advocate for Indian nationalism and self-rule. 
A Hindu by religion, Gandhi said that he would like to be Christ-like without having to become a Christian. The desire to be like Christ is commendable, but ultimately impossible without being a Christian. The heart of Christianity is not acting like Christ, but being in spiritual union with Christ. As the Apostle Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ living in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. We become like Christ, only by Christ living in us. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's way to be like Christ on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.